You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Come on, Pete. <laughs> Great. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to um, Matthew and chapter 20. Uh, my daughter's in the house today, so I thought I ought to just put a picture up from friends. <sighs> Joey Triviani. Why on earth would I start with Joey Triviani when we're doing a whole series on bless? I would like to suggest that out of the six people of friends, this is you. Oh, now you're suddenly getting really concerned, aren't you? Where on earth is this preach going to go this morning? Joey, if you've never watched the program, it's been going on for years. Joey is basically an out-of-work actor. And he's always getting these little bits and pieces in the series of friends, but he always messes up. And if you're really honest, there's one reason why he messes up. He wants the limelight. So one time he is in a crowd scene, but he ends up improvising lines so that people notice him in the crowd. He loses the job. Another time he's a corpse, and actually he tries to rise from the dead so that he can make his role a little bit bigger. He loses the job. Another time he's actually the lead role, and he ends up telling everyone, I wrote the lines rather than giving the credit to the scriptwriter, and he loses his job. The reality is, Joey always wanted the limelight. You think, oh, golly, Pete, where's this going in the series of bless? I think it's a challenge for us. I think it was a challenge for the disciples. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 20, and I would say that James and John were basically like Joey. They were saying, I want the limelight. My question is, where are we in the story? So if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read um, those verses in the passage. It's called A Mother's Request. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left. In the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten, this is the other ten disciples, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, I feel humbled myself. I probably am more like Joey than I'd like to admit. In my life, I probably want the limelight like James and John. 
and I'm not sure I'm as quick to serve as you are. I pray that as we look at this passage together, we won't feel a sense of condemnation. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts that we might be changed for your glory. Amen. This is week four, as Edward said. We're doing a series called Bless. If you've missed the other ones, B stood for Begin in Prayer. We want to be those that pray for one another. If you're not signed up for a meetup yet, come along to a prayer meeting in the office, 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Week two was listen. How do we ask questions? Show an interest. Listen to people. Week three was eat. And we said, come on, there's got to be this whole thing of how do we enjoy time with one another. And week four is serve. I am talking this morning about how do we serve. And I want to take it out of this whole story. I think there's a couple of different perspectives we can look at. The first one is the request that is made of Jesus. Mothers are notoriously defensive for their boys. Suddenly you've got this. It's interesting, isn't it? Do we even know her name? All we know is the mother of Zebedee's sons. We know that this woman comes. If you look in the scripture, we could try and work out her name. But in this passage, it's almost like mum is there standing up for her boys. I'm one of three sons. My mum was just an angel, you know what I'm saying? I used to play football on a Saturday afternoon, and while I was having a bath, she'd be cleaning my football boots. I thought, what a great mum, eh? Some of the people there saying, Pete, just don't go there. You know, you're just old, you're showing your age. But my mum could do nothing. Nothing was too much trouble. You touch the saucer, and she'd jump up and say, would you like some more tea? I mean, that was just the way she looked after a boy. I mean, she lived for her boys. Mums can be like that. This mum was like that. She comes, the mother of James and John, and literally, she kneels. I mean, how, like, humbling is that? She comes and kneels before Jesus, waiting for Jesus to speak. It's almost like this, isn't it? I mean, there she she comes, she kneels down, and Jesus then says, what do you want? Now, actually, who was this woman? We believe this woman was the sister of Mary. And I'm not going to go through the scripture now, but so actually, this was Jesus' aunt. Oh, so suddenly there's some family connection in here. Therefore, the two men that she's asking about, James and John, are actually Jesus' cousins. Oh, so there's this family thing here. We know that they are part of the twelve. Jesus had 12 disciples, men that were gathered around him, that he took wherever. James and John were part of that 12. In fact, if you read the Bible, you know that out of the 12, there was three that were like the inner circle. And Jesus trusted those three more than others. So the Mount of Transfiguration, when he goes up in this mountain and God sort of appears in this, there was three disciples there. In fact, when the dead girl was raised, he took three disciples in. It was the same three. This inner three was James, John, and Peter. Well, if you know anything about the Bible, which obviously is not true of all Peters, I'd like to quickly add in, Peter was a wally. You would have known that Jesus is never going to trust Peter. So you've got two of the inner three. And the other one, I mean, he just keeps, he only opens his mouth to swap feet, does Peter. He's always in trouble. So there's some logic. This woman comes with a a request, and there's some faith. 
You see, they believed that the kingdom of God was coming. So when she made this request, not only was it a logical thing, you don't want Peter, you want my two boys. It was a faith thing. It was saying, you're going to come in your kingdom. There's going to be thrones. I believe in you, Jesus. She made this request with faith. But, and this is where I want us just to stop and think for a moment. The request is about me. Can I have the best place? Can I have the most power? Can I be recognized? They did not ask for employment in the kingdom. They wanted to receive honor from the kingdom. They did not say we'd like to sacrifice. They said we want success. Leon Morris, he's an Australian scholar who's written books on this, says to ask the question is to show that one has not understood what the kingdom is. It is impossible to seek greatness for oneself in it. Now, I think this is a really difficult concept for us to grasp. And again, I am going to show my age now, so just come with me for a moment. When I was a boy... If you wanted to watch television, just some of you think, I cannot imagine that existed. But if I wanted to watch a program, I had to sit down when the program was on. So um, I used to watch something called Cracker Jack. It was on a Friday afternoon, and it was at 5 o'clock. And I had two brothers. And the reality was, we all had to get there, and we had to sit on the sofa at 3 minutes to 5 Why three minutes to five? It took that long to warm the telly up, but we won't go there. You'd turn the telly on, you'd sit there, it would suddenly come warm, five o'clock, you watch Cracker Jack. Half past five, that was it. We walked away. We don't watch telly like that anymore. What do we do? We have on-demand TV. You watch it when it's convenient to you. You watch it when it's convenient to you, and you can skip the adverts. You can watch five in a row. You could pause it, can't you, while you get off the toilet and finish and then carry on wherever you're going. I don't know where you watch TV. We watch it on demand. The reality is I think we've ended up approaching God with an on-demand mentality. Now, I'm not going to say the old days were always best, but I think in the old days, you came and sat when that was on. Now, you say, it comes on when I want it. Our danger is that I think we approach God in this modern way, which is, you are my on-demand God. James and John were doing that, weren't they? They were saying, I want you to do something for me right here, right now. Is that how they should have been approaching this? Is this genuinely how we serve God? You see, this whole story is part of a bigger story. It's part of the kingdom story. The disciples we know were on a journey with Jesus. Where were they going? They were going to Jerusalem. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, you can find that out. So there was an intentional journey. Why were they going to Jerusalem? It's it's not a surprise. It tells us in the Bible. They were going to Jerusalem so that Jesus could die. I don't want this to be a surprise to you guys. I'm going up to Jerusalem and I will die there. He's warned them that he's going to die. This journey has warned them that that is what it's like in the kingdom. But it's not just this journey. They had left Jericho and they were going to Jerusalem. It's not just the days or the hours on this journey. Actually, this whole book is a journey. 
And right throughout the book, the journey has been, there will be suffering in the kingdom. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And so he saw things from God and he spoke them out to the people. And one of the things he spoke about is God's kingdom will come through what was known as the suffering servant. You can read about it in Isaiah 52. It says this, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up. He raised and lifted up high. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. And his form marred beyond human likeness. You see, the whole thing of the kingdom has always been the cross is the way to victory. There's always going to be this sense that there will be suffering before there's success. But they try to swap it around. And I sometimes think we can do that. If we're really honest, we, humility is not really a virtue in London. It's almost seen as a vice in the city. The danger is, I guess, that when we live in the city, it can all be about your status. It can be about ruling. It can be about ordering others. Whereas actually what Jesus is saying is the kingdom is about serving, even enduring injustice. Jesus had been so keen to try and sort this out with his disciples. It was just a couple of chapters earlier that when they'd say, come on, who is the greatest? And some of us are like that, aren't we? Who's the greatest? He's got the most money. He's got the nicest car. Who has the greatest holiday? Jesus pulls a little child in, literally sits this child upon the lap and says to the disciples all around, if you want to know what greatness is, you've got to be like this child. What? He turned the whole kingdom upside down. Martin Luther King, he was a Baptist preacher and the civil rights guy. When he talked about, and I thought he had a real insight on understanding of the kingdom, he talked about this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. What he says is this, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked, if you don't know the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite see this guy that's been robbed and he's left on the road. And they come down and they decide not to help. He said, the first question they asked is, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan was the enemy of the Jew. The Good Samaritan turns up in the story and decides to stop. He says, the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And so Jesus used this parable of the good Samaritan to say, that's the kingdom. It's not what happens to me, it's what happens to him. And so I think, how do we bring this challenge to say, oh golly, the kingdom of God is, how do I serve somebody else rather than necessarily how do they serve me? Rick Warren, he's a pastor in the States and an author. He says this, God determines greatness by how many people you serve, not by how many people serve you. And it's funny because sometimes even in our humility, we we don't like to admit that. But he's saying, well, actually, true greatness, let's embarrass him because I love doing it. It's Steve. Because Steve does the setup team. And so I know that if we're short, Steve will step in. I know that, you know, at half past eight, he'll be here making sure that stuff's done. Recruiting volunteers to help. That's true greatness. How many people could he serve? Not how many people serve him. That is very different to the world. If we think about it, the world says, no pain, no gain. But what does it mean by that? 
What it means is that if you don't work out in the gym, you won't have a great body. Yeah? This has taken me years to get to. The reality is no pain, no gain. If you don't study at university, you won't get your degree. No pain, no gain. What does Jesus say? My pain that others might gain. That's the kingdom message, isn't it? My pain that somebody else might gain. That, that, oh, that's a whole different message, isn't it? It's not my pain so that I gain. It's not my pain so that actually I feel better. Why does Steve do this? My pain so that others gain. That is the kingdom. The secret of greatness is not to tyrannize others, but to become their servant. The only way up is down. The only way to greatness is servanthood. That is the kingdom. And so this is what we're discovering almost in this this discussion on the road. They're saying, oh, give me your left and your right. On demand God. Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 come on. You've got to remember the big story. The kingdom is different. But Jesus doesn't just talk. If you've got a Bible, you might want to flick. The verses will come up here anyway. We know in, in the Gospel of John, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of the life of Jesus. It was literally at the Passover. Now, this was the meal literally like the day before he's about to die. He'd be on tender hooks. And we read these words. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come. That was like this sense of not a specific hour. This period of time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is like the disciples. He gathered them. He's having this meal. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that as he'd come from God, he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, he was so secure in his Father's love that he could serve others. I mean, it's phenomenal, isn't it? This was a job for the lowest of the low. If you don't know anything about the Bible, that the Jews who consider themselves the people of God, called by God, would not do this job. You employed a non-Jew that was called a Gentile. They came and washed it. Why hadn't any disciples stepped up? This is not our kind of work. What Jesus says is, I will come to serve Jesus did not come to the earth to occupy a throne, but a cross. He didn't come to say, oh, this is my kingdom and I'm going to sit on this throne. He came to hang on a cross. And then we know that that is the challenge that is put to us. In 1 John, which is a letter in the New Testament that was written to a church, it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's almost like in the light of his sacrifice, what about us? And that is why part of this bless that we're looking at, the, the S, is how do we serve? 
How do we serve? I would encourage us to make this as practical as we possibly can. I think there's two places to practice. If you are married, start there. How about this? Try this as an exercise. If you are married, don't ask for anything for two months. Just think, what could I give? Man alive, it will completely change your marriage. That's how we serve. Some of you think, I'm glad my wife is in the kids. I'm sure she won't bother listening to this. I'm safe. (laughs) But what about it? How do we genuinely serve? How do we serve one another? If you've not practiced with your marriage, if you're not married, in the church. Practice in the church. Paul writing to the church in Galatia says this in chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Oh, let me step on a few bunions this morning. Do you have an on-demand approach to church? Or do you come and serve? Do we think, what's this church do for me? Or what am I doing involved with the church? What about setup? What about the words at the back? What about the welcome? What about refreshments? What about being out with the kids? There's a, a, an incredible poet in London by the name of Steve Page. And he's written this. New Levites. We're the new Levites. The early risers, chair setters, cable layers, sound checkers and coffee makers. We're the greeters, the good to seeers, the baby minders and kids teachers. We qualify by turning up with willing hands and open hearts. We're the new Levites and the rotors open. Incredible, eh? What a great opportunity for all of us. I told you last week you had 21 opportunities to put my last message into practice in the next week. You were to eat. If you're a teenager, you probably had 35 opportunities in the week. Now, I want to throw down the challenge here. You've all got the opportunity. If I haven't got enough jobs, I'll make some up. If you say, actually, Pete, I so want to be like Jesus. I'd love to serve in this church. Give me an opportunity. I can find you one. Seriously. You might think, golly, in the light of this, why wouldn't I? We are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed from God that we can bless one another. We're blessed that we can bless the city that we live in. Paul writes this, which is quite sobering words, to another church. Ephesians chapter 5. Slaves, golly, I don't really like that. It's nothing to do with me, surely. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you're slave or free. So I would love us as a church... To think, golly, I could be a blessing to whatever master there is outside of those doors. I would love you as an individual to be involved on the PTA, Parent and Teacher Association, for those that don't have kids. Think, I I go and serve there. I'll be the classroom rep. 
I could be a governor at the school. I could be there just to be involved. How good are we at stopping to offer help? I was in uh, Wilco's last week, and this lady in a wheelchair, to be honest, was just sort of calling out, and Nikki and I just haven't been there. I said, what's up? She said, I just can't reach the top shelf. Could you please? I think, how many times would I have walked past somebody like that? I, did, I didn't give the whole gospel. I didn't actually pull out a tract and say, look, I'm from the church. I just said, what would you like? I thought, why couldn't I be a blessing? Because I've stopped. You've probably seen this whole thing now about on the bus, who gives way? I don't want to offend all those buggies at the back of the room. You know what I'm saying? But genuinely, how do we think I could give my seat or my space to somebody else? How do we stop and just think, how could we serve another person? Sometimes, how do we get vulnerable and ask for help? How do we genuinely connect? What are the ways that you could bless this city because you've been so blessed by God? I want us to start in the family. If you're not practicing here, you'll always find it harder out there. But I'd love us to think. Your your boss at work just think, God, I really enjoy employing them. They, They just say thanks. They offer to make me a coffee without being asked. You know, they just bring some encouragement to the team when heads are going down. Oh, they just notice there's some litter around the place, or they've picked it up, or, you know what I'm saying? Menial things that we think, oh, the cleaner would do that. Oh, I, I could just do that. Oh, take me five minutes. I'll pop and do that. Wouldn't it be great if they just thought, golly, what's up with you guys? We are here to bless this city. John Ortberg, he's an American author and pastor. If you can't do great things, Mother Teresa used to say, do little things with great love. If you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. If you can't do them with a little love, do them anyway. Love grows when people serve. So actually, it'd be great to go and do it and to love it, but even if you don't love it, just do it anyway, because love would grow in you. I think, what a great attitude. I always remember with Mother Trace, I've probably used it before, but I find it humbling you know, one time a, a reporter went there and watched her for a whole day dealing with severely traumatized people, the smells, the infection. Someone said, I wouldn't do this for all the money in the world. And she said, neither would I. Because she just felt there was love that flowed out. And what I want is us to think, oh God, how could we serve out of that? John Bunyan, he was a Baptist preacher in the 1600s. He used to say this, you have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. You've not lived. I don't know, in our generation, let's be honest, we want to live, don't we? God, I want life to the full. I want life with capital L. (laughs) Well, the world might say it's another experience. Or it's another meal. But I guess something of the kingdom is saying, well, actually, maybe it's to serve. And maybe it's to give. The reality is, why don't we do this? We don't do it because it costs. It costs time. It costs energy. It costs effort. It costs comfort. And I guess that's why you find it so challenging to end with the final verse. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I believe that is the key if we'd ever serve. 
James and John claim too much in my book. Why? Because they said, yeah, we could take this on. And what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? The soldiers came and they fled. They said, yeah, yeah, we'll do whatever to sit at your right and left, but they didn't. Or did they? You see, in Acts 12 that you read, James was one of the first Christians martyred. And you discover, if you read the book of Revelation that was written by John, that actually he enjoyed, endured, not enjoyed, isolation on an island for years. So what changed? What changed from Gethsemane, where they fled and ran, to when they died or endured isolation? Well, I think the thing that changed everything was the cross. Because when they'd seen Jesus on the cross, suddenly they thought, it's not about him serving me, it's about how I serve him. After they'd experienced the horror of the cross and the joy of the resurrection, suddenly they thought, well, this would change everything. It was only 60 days after this chapter that Peter was stood up at Pentecost. And what did he say? Don't look at me. Look at him. You killed the author of life, but he rose. Don't look at me. Look at him. Suddenly, after the cross and the resurrection, after the ransom had been paid, ransom was a price that you paid to release a slave that had no way of covering their own debt. After that, they suddenly thought, I could serve If you want to know the key to serving, I believe it's gratitude. When we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, we'd serve. James and John asked him for something. But I don't think Jesus showed his love by answering their request. I think he showed his love by dying on their behalf. I think our danger is we measure whether or not Jesus loves us by does he answer the requests that we give him rather than by focusing on the fact that he's already died on a cross for us. This is why we we take bread and the cup each week because we want to celebrate what Christ has done for us because that changes our whole attitude the rest of the week. Some of you will know the song. I'm going to read the words to you right now. Here I am, humbled by your majesty, covered by your grace so free. Here I am, knowing I am a sinful man, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now I've found the greatest love of all, is mine. Since you laid down your life, the greatest sacrifice, majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am, empty-handed but alive in your hands. Majesty, majesty, forever I am changed by your love in the presence of your majesty. Here I am, humbled by the love that you give, Forgiven so that I can forgive. Here I stand, knowing I'm your desire. 
sanctified by glory and fire. Now I've found the greatest love of all. Since you laid down your life, the greatest sacrifice. We often encourage you to come out. We're going to do the bread and the cup slightly differently. We've got some volunteers that will come and serve. We thought we'd bring it around. If you are a Christian, we'd love you to take part. Thank Jesus. If you are not yet a Christian, this could be your first opportunity to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I understand the cross changes everything. Please forgive me. For some of you that are able, you may want to kneel at this point. You may even think, actually, I need to humbly come again and not approach God like on-demand TV, but actually say, how can I serve him and my church and my community? The band will just be playing, and whilst they're doing that, these guys and girls will be serving to us. So if you could do that, that'd be great.